Part 1, Chapter 10a of The Adventures of Jimmy Dale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. The Adventures of Jimmy Dale by Frank L. Packard. Part 1 The Man in the Case. Chapter 10a The Alibi. Vets to the gray sail, through the underworld, in vents and dives that sheltered from the law, the vultures that preyed upon society, prompted by self-fear, by secret dread, by reason of their very inability to carry out their purpose, the whispered sentence grew daily more venomous, more insistent. The gray seal, dead or alive, but the gray seal. It was the standing orders of the police, railed at by a populace who angrily demanded at its hands this criminal of criminals, mocked at and threatened by a virulent press, stung to madness by the knowledge of its own impotence, flaunted impudently to its face by this mysterious grey seal, to whose door the law laid a hundred crimes for whom the bars of a death cell in Sing Sing was a certain goal, could he but be caught. The police, to a man, was like an uncaged beast that, flicked to the raw by some unseen assailant, and murderous in its fury, was crouched to strike. Grim paradox, a common bond that linked the hands of the law with those that outraged it. Death to the grey seal. Was it at last the beginning of the end? Jimmy Dale, as Larry the Bat, unkempt, disreputable in appearance, supposed dope fiend, a figure familiar to every denizen below the dead line, skulked along the narrow, ill-lighted street of the east side that, on the corner ahead, boasted the notorious resort to which Bristol Bob had paid the doubtful if appropriate compliment of giving his name. From under the rim of his battered hat, Jimmy Dale's eyes, veiled by half-closed, well-simulated, drug-laden lids, missed no detail, either of his surroundings or pertaining to the passers-by. Though already late in the evening, half-naked children played in the gutters, Hawkers of multitudinous commodities cried their wares under gasoline banjo touches affixed to their pushcarts. Shawled women of half a dozen races and men equally cosmopolitan loitered at the curb or blocked the pavement or brushed by him. Now a man passed him, flinging a greeting from the corner of his mouth. Now another always without movement of the lips, and Jimmy Dale answered them from the corner of his mouth. But while his eyes were alert, his mind was only subconsciously attuned to his surroundings. Was it indeed the beginning of the end? Some day, he had told himself often enough, the end must come. Was it coming now? Surely, with a sort of grim implacability. 
when it was too late to escape. Slowly but inexorably, even his personal freedom of action was narrowing, being limited, and ironically enough, through the very conditions he had himself created as an avenue of escape. It was not only the police now. It was, far more to be feared, the underworld as well. In the old days, the role of Larry the Bat had been assumed at intervals, at his own discretion, when, in a corner, he had no other way of escape. Now it was forced upon him almost daily. The character of Larry the Bat could no longer be discarded at will. He had flung down the gauntlet to the underworld, when, as the Grey Seal, he had closed the prison doors behind Stangeist. The Mope, Australian Ike, and Claridine, and the underworld had picked the gauntlet up. Betrayed, as they believed, by the one who, though unknown to them, they had counted the greatest among themselves, and each one fearful that his own betrayer might come next, every crook, every tug in the badlands, now eyed his oldest power with suspicion and distrust, and each was a self-constituted salute, with the prod of self-preservation behind him sworn to the accomplishment of that unhallowed slogan, Death to the Grey Seal. Almost daily now, he must show himself as Larry the Bat in some gathering of the underworld. A prolonged absence from his haunts was not merely to invite certain suspicion. We are all we are suspicious of each other. It was to invite certain disaster. He had now either to carry the role like a little old man of the sea upon his back, or renounce it forever, and the latter course he dared not even consider. The sanctuary was still the sanctuary, and the role of Larry the Bat was still a refuge, the trump card in the lone hand he played. He reached the corner, pushed open the door of Bristol Bob's, and shuffled in. The place was a glare of light, a hideous riot of noise. On a polished section of the floor in the center, a turkey trot was in full swing. Laughter and shouting vied raucously with an impossible orchestra. Jimmy Dale slowly made the circuit of the room past the tables that ranged around the sides, were packed with occupants who thumped their glasses in tempo with the music, and clamored at the Russian waiters for replenishment. A dozen, two dozen, men and women greeted him. Jimmy Dale indifferently returned their salutes. What a galaxy of crooks! the cream of the underworld. His eyes, under half-closed lids, swept the faces. Lags, dips, gatmen, yeggs, 
mobstormers, murderers, petty sneak thieves, stalls, hangers-on, they were all there. He knew them all. He was known to all. He shuffled on to the far end of the room, his leer a little arrogant, a certain arrogance, too, in the tilt of his battered heart. He also was quite a celebrity in that gathering. Larry the Bat was of the aristocracy and the elite of gangland. Well, the show was over. He had stalked across the stage, performed for his audience, and in another hour now, free until he must repeat the same performance the next day in some other equally notorious dive, he would be sitting in for a rubber of bridge at that most exclusive of all clubs, the St. James, where none might enter, save only those whose names were vouched for in the highest and most select circles, and where for partners he would possibly have a justice of the Supreme Court, or mayhap an eminent divine. He looked suddenly around him, as though startled. It always startled him, that comparison. There was something too stupendous to be simply ironical in the incongruity of it. If he were ever run to earth, his eyes met those of a heavy-built, coerced-featured man, the chewed end of a cigar in his mouth, who stepped from behind the bar, carrying a tin tray with two full glasses upon it. It was Bristol Bob, ex-pugilist, the proprietor. How are you, Larry? grunted the man, with what he meant to be a smile. Jimmy Dale was standing in the doorway of a passage that prefaced a rear exit to the lane. He moved aside to allow the other to pass. Hello, Bristol, he returned dispassionately. Bristol Bob went on along down the passage, and Jimmy Dale shuffled slowly after him. He had intended to leave the place by the rear door. It obviated the possibility of an undesirable acquaintance joining company with him if he went out by the main entrance. But now his eyes were fixed on the proprietor's back with a sort of speculative curiosity. There was a private room off the passage with a window on the lane, but they must be favored customers indeed that Bristol Bob would condescend to serve personally. Anyone who knew Bristol Bob knew that. Jimmy Dale slowed his shuffling gait, then quickened it again. Bristol Bob opened the door and passed into the private room. The door was just closing as Jimmy Dale shuffled by. He had had only a glance inside but it was enough. They were favored customers indeed. It was no wonder that Bristol Bob himself was on the job. Two men were in the room. Lanigan of headquarters, 
rated the smartest plainclothes man in the country, and across the table from Lanigan, Whitey Mac, as clever, finished and daring a crook as was to be found in the Badlands, whose particular line was diamonds, or in the vernacular of his ilk, white stones, that had earned him the sobriquet of Whitey. Lanigan of headquarters, Whitey Mac of the underworld, sworn enemies those two, in secret session. Bristol Bob might well play the part of outer guard. If a choice few of those outside in the dance hall could get a glimpse into their private room, it would be good night to White Mac. Jimmy Dale's eyes were narrowed a little as he shuffled on down the passage. Lanigan and Whitey Mac with their heads together. What was the game? There was nothing in common between the two men. Lanigan, it was well known, could not be reached. Whitey Mac, with his ingenious cleverness, coupled with a cold-blooded fearlessness that had made him an object of unholy awe and respect in the eyes of the underworld, was a thorn that was sore beyond measure in the side of the police. Certainly, it was no ordinary thing that had brought these two together, especially since with the unrest and suspicion that was bubbling and sitting below the deadline, and with which there was none more intimate than Whitey Mac. Whitey Mac was inviting a risk in making up with the police that could only be accounted for by some urgent and vital incentive. Jimmy Dale pushed open the door that gave on the lane. Behind him, Bristol Bob closed the door of the private room and retreated back along the passage. Jimmy Dale stepped out into the lane and instinctively his eyes sought the window of the private room. The shade was drawn. Only a yellow muck filtered out into the black, unlighted lane. But suddenly, he started noiselessly toward it. The window was open a bare inch or so at the bottom. The seal was just shoulder high, and placing his ear to the opening, he flattened himself against the wall. He could not see inside, for the shade was drawn well to the bottom but he could hear as distinctly as though he were at the table beside the two men. And at the first words, the loose, disjointed frame of Larry the Bat seemed to totten curiously and strain forward, light and tense. This grey sealed dope listens good, Whitey. What's coming from you, I'm Larry. You've got to show me. Don't you want him? There was a nasty laugh from Whitey Mac. You bet I want him, returned the headquarters man with a suppressed savagery that left no doubt as to his earnestness. 
I want him fast enough. But then blast him, so do I. Whitey Mac rapped out with a vicious now. So does every guy in the fleet down here. We got it in for him. You get that, don't you? His guts engaged and his gang stared for the electric chair now. He put a crimp in the weasel the other night, get that? He's like a blasted wizard with what he knows. And who will he deal the icy meat to next? Me? Damn him. Me, for all I know. That's all right, observed Lanningham coolly. I'm not questioning your sincerity for a minute. I know all about that. But that doesn't land the gray seal. I'll work with you if you've anything to offer. But we've had enough tips and information handed us at headquarters in the last few years to make us a trifle skeptical. Show me what you've got, Whitey. Show you, echoed Whitey Mark passionately. Sure, I'll show you. That's what I'm going to do. Show you. I'll show you the gray seal. I ain't handing you any tips. I've found out who the gray seal is. There was a tense silence. It seemed to Jimmy Dale as though cold fingers were clutching at his heart, stifling its beat. Then the blood came bursting to his forehead. He could not see into the room, but that silence was eloquent. It seemed as though he could picture the two men, Lanningham leaning suddenly forward, Lanningham and Whitey Mac staring tensely into each other's eyes. You what? It came low and grim from Lanningham. That's what, asserted Whitey Mac bluntly. You heard me. That's what I said. I know who the Grey Seal is, and I'm the only guy that's wise to him. Am I letting you in, right? You are sure? demanded Lanigan Huasley. You are sure? Who is he then? There was a half laugh and half snarl from Whitey Mac. Oh no, you don't, he growled. Nix on that. What do you take me for? A fool? You beat it out of here and round him up, eh? While I suck my thumbs? Forget it. Do you think I'm doing this because I love you? Why, blame you. You've been aching for a year to put the bracelets on me yourself. Wake up. I'm in on this myself. Again, that silence. Then Lanigan spoke slowly, in a puzzled way. I don't get you, Whitey, he said. What do you mean? Then a little sharply, you're quite right. You've got some reputation yourself, and you're badly wanted. If we could get the goods on you. 
if you are trying to plan something, look out for yourself, or can that, snapped Whitey Mac threateningly, can that sort of spear right now, or quit. I ain't telling you his name yet, but I'll take you to him tonight, and you and me naps him together. Is that straight enough good for you? Don't get sore, said Lanigan more pacifically. Yes, if you do that, it's good enough for any man. But lay your cards on the table, face up, Whitey. I want to see what you opened the pot on. You've seen him, Whitey Mac answered ungraciously. I've told you already. The gray seal goes out for keeps. Curse him for a snitch. If I bumped him off or wised up any of the guys to eat and we was caught, we'd get the juice for it, even if it was the gray seal, wouldn't we? Well, what's the use? If one of you dicks gets him, he gets bumped off just the same. Only regular up in the wire parlor at Sing Sing. I ain't looking for that kind of trouble when I can duck it. See? Sure, said Lanigan. Besides, and moreover, continued Whitey Mac, there's some reward hung out for him that I'm figuring to burn in on. I'd swipe it all myself, and you'd never get a looking. Only saw as the mob is on the gray seal. It ain't healthy for any guy around this path to get the reputation of being a snitch, no matter who he snitches on. Bump him off, sure. Snitching. Well, you get the idea, eh? I'm ducking that too. Get me? I get you, said Lanigan with a short, pleased laugh. Well then, announced Whitey Mac, here's my proposition, and it's my turn to hand out the lookout for yourself dope. I'm busting the game wide open for you to play, but you throw me down, and his voice sank into a sullen snarl again. You can take it from me, I'll get you for it. All right, responded Lanigan soberly. Let's hear it. If I agree to it, I'll stick to it. I believe you, said Whitey Mac curtly. That's why I picked you out for the medal they'll pin on you for this. And here's getting down to tax. I'll lead you to the Grey Seal tonight and help you nab him and stay with you to the finish. But there's to be nobody but you and me on the job. When it's done, I fade away, and nobody's to know I snitched, and no questions asked as to how I found out about the gray seal. I ain't looking for any of the glory. You can fix that up to suit yourself. The cash is different. You come across with half the reward the day they pay it. You'll get it. There was savage elation in Lanigan's voice. 
the emphatic smash of a fist on the table. You're on whitey, and if we get the gray seal tonight, I'll do better by you than that. We'll get him, said whitey Mac with a vicious oath. And Jimmy Dale crouched suddenly low down, close against the wall. The crunch of a footstep sounded from the end of the lane. Someone had turned in from the cross street some fifty yards away and was heading evidently for the back entrance to Bristol Bob's. Jimmy Dale edged noiselessly, cautiously back past the doorway, kept on, pressed close against the wall, and finally paused. He had not been seen. The back door of Bristol Bob's opened and closed. The man had gone in. For a moment, Jimmy Dale stood hesitant. There was a wild surging in his brain, something like a myriad batteries of trip hammers seemed to be pounding at his temples. Then, almost blindly, he kept on down the lane in the same direction in which he had started to retreat, as well one cross street as another. He turned into the cross street, went along it, and presently emerged into the full tide of the Bowery. It was garishly lighted. People swarmed about him. Subconsciously, there were crowded sidewalks. Subconsciously, he was on the Bowery. That was all. Ruin, disaster, peril faced him. Faced him and staggered him with the suddenness of the shock. Was it true? No, it could not be true. It was a bluff. Whitey Mac was bluffing. Jimmy Dale's lips grew thin in a mirthless smile as he shook his head. Neither Whitey Mac nor any other man would dare to bluff like that. It was too straight, too open-handed. Whitey Mac had laid his cards too plainly on the table. Whitey Mac's words rang in his ears. I'll lead you to the Grey Seal tonight and help you nab him and stay with you to the finish. The man meant what he said. Meant what he said, too, about the finish of the Grey Seal. Not a man in the Badlands but meant death to the gray seal. But how? By what means? When, where, had Mighty Mac got his information? I'm the only one that's wise, Whitey Mac had said. It seemed impossible. It was impossible. Whitey Mac was sincere enough probably in what he had said. But the man simply could not know. Whitey Mac could only have spotted someone that, for some reason or other, he imagined was the Grey Seal. That was it. Must be it. Whitey Mac had made a mistake. 
what clue could he have obtained? End of part one, chapter 10a.